As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. The Athletic. The only way to score is, of course, to play uh, with a handbrake off. I'm Ian Stone. This is Handbrake Off, the Arsenal podcast, brought to you by The Athletic. Uh, We thought we'd wait until Friday morning, just in case there were any last-minute transfers. And lo and behold, (laughs) nothing happened. So to talk through all that, as well as the excellent win over Aston Villa, I'm joined by two of the finest Arsenal writers and analysts available in the price range on a Friday morning. It's Adrian <laughs> Clark and Amy Lawrence. Morning. Uh, I just think you need to just check out like, with you know various intermediaries that we are actually able to appear on this show. You know, and all, <laughs> I'll get my is, people to talk to your of people. The, of the, what, are, what are they called? Have the deal sheets gone through? In time? <laughs> well, well, we're in now. Aren't what we? deal sheets? I hear you ask. Well, we're talking i tell you what right obviously a lot of people were hoping that maybe someone was brought in on the last day of the uh, transfer window but it didn't happen and amy we were just talking before we came on air about how there's people whinging uh how are you feeling where are you as an opening question on the trust the process ometer all right are we marking it out of 10 or 100 how are we doing it i see a sort of thing like a like a voltmeter you know where a little dial i, I don't know where are you anyway well i'm i'm seeing it as a fairground attraction where you have to take a giant hammer and use all your might to bash something which usually is fixed but if you're really strong actually makes rises up and makes the bell ding <laughs> We're not so dinging the are bell. Are we going to ding we? or or not? Yeah. Um, yeah. Well, we are top of the league, so I'd say that there's a bit of there needs to be some sonic appreciation of that fact. <laughs> I think you're right, I th- but if the bell rings, there's nowhere there's nowhere else to go, is there? Yeah, Unless well, you can ring it louder. Well, definitely you can. Yeah. Look, I I think uh, it's all about context, and in the moment of deadline day, when you've suddenly lost two defensive midfield players at the same time for indeterminate amounts of time all of a sudden things looked different to how they looked five days ago say or a week ago I think there was a general happiness with the squad we all know that Adrian and I were wishing for a new striker all summer however I definitely thought the way that Eddie came on there's something going on there that makes that feel much as three strikers would still be a preference than two 
for an entire season. You know, if those two guys stay fit and on form, I think that's pretty encouraging. Defensive midfield, again, I was sort of banging on about all summer, thinking you'd really want a very seriously high-caliber alternative to Thomas Partey in any event. But that was not really on the agenda early on. And then the winger that they looked at uh, to help cover for Bukayo, etc., etc., if you're sound Man's... like the bells Sorry, right hang on, now. hang on. Just let me finish. That's a long answer. But if you're Man City, then you address all your issues in general. Let's be honest. But coming where Arsenal have come from over the past, even if you take the th- whatever, three or four or how many windows it is since you've had Arteta in and Edu sort of doing his thing by himself, I think Arsenal look in as good shape as I could have almost hoped, realistically, because we're not in fantasy land. We can't get the perfect squad at this moment in time. There is FFP considerations, and it's clear that Arsenal are you know, sailing fairly close to the wind on that one, having spent heavily already this summer and last summer. And I just feel there's a reality check almost that Arsenal is where Arsenal is, which is with a really encouraging squad doing really well, are they going to win the league? Well, I don't think many, even the most optimistic fans, would be thinking that's really on the agenda, despite this great start. But finishing in the top four and going for trophies is almost needs to happen. You know, it's really, really expected this season, a lot more than last, and rightly so. And have Arsenal got the squad to do that? I think it's one of those where, in an idea, I don't. Nobody knows was David Luiz the guy that was going to really fill that gap to perfection. Um, Douglas Louise, sorry. Oh God, did I say David Louise? <laughs> Do you know did. why? Can I say so? That's why I'm really quite glad that we, that he's not come because I can't stop. You know the D Louise thing. It just I can't I can't make the distinction with my old brain anymore, and I'm just going to look like even bigger twerp than normal. So yeah, it's all good news. I agree. I, I, <laughs> anyway, it's I a really think... waffly answer, but I I think we're in quite good shape, and I'm really interested to see if this becomes an opportunity for someone, whether it's Sambi whether Ben White gets a go, uh, whether Zinjenko ends up playing there for a certain amount of time. It could it could be the making of something. Colo Torre came in at centre-back out of nowhere in the summer before the Invincible season. And in one friendly game, struck up a partnership with uh, Sol Campbell and Arsenal thought, oh, OK, I like this. I mean, that was unexpected. You know, things happen that way. You do straw poll of Arsenal fans and say, honest, hand on heart, would you want Eddie, uh, would you mind if he goes, you know, end of the season's contracts run down? And most people would have been like, well, you know, it's fine, really. And now, you, did you hear that reception when he came on the other day? Oh, it was it's mental. It's great. It was proper I... cult hero love. Adrian? Uh, shorter mm. answer. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Sorry. We are, um, uh, are you trusting? Where are you on? I'm on pretty trusting. I, I, I don't know. I'm eight, I'm 85%, 90% trust on the trustometer. I think. Are um, you? Yeah, no, I am. I think. No, that, I mean, are you only that is, I suppose, oh, the point I'm asking really. Um, I mean, there's not too much I would do differently. I, I would have maybe, I would have liked to have got more fees in for players that are on the on the way out because of our financial limitations. I think that's what held us back at, at the end of this window. We we really didn't have that much to play with, um, and we've loaned out a lot of players again that maybe we could have we could have sold. I don't know, but it it kind of is what it is. If there are no buyers for these players, then you you have to loan them out. 
did Nicola Pepe have to go out on loan? Or could we have could we have kept him as as that safety net backup for Bakayo Saka between now and the World Cup? I think that is a relevant question to or a relevant point to make. The same could be said of Ainsley Maitland Niles, who can cover a number of positions, including defensive midfield. But the truth is that Mikel Arteta doesn't fancy those players anymore and he's more than happy to to let them leave and effectively risk it because he doesn't want unhappy players in and around that first team environment. And I do think there's a lot to be said for that. And and look, just just look where we are. As Amy says, we're top of the league, we're flying, we're playing great football, the spirit's unbelievable. And a lot of that, as well as the recruitment and the coaching, a lot of that is down to the slimmed down squad and the fact that everyone is pretty much motivated and engaged with the manager, whereas before they weren't. It's as simple as that. Yeah. So that would 85, 90%. I mean, anyone who, who listens to me uh, any <coughs> time will know how much I trust the process and have been for a while. I mean, in the end, if the players are 100% behind it, and it seems like the crowd at the Emirates are 100% behind it, so am I. I mean, I'm all in at this point. I genuinely love this team. I love the way they've started. And uh, people whinging on Twitter. I mean, genuinely, what do you want? How were you last year after three games, by the way, when we'd lost all three and let in 10 goals and scored none? And now we have played five games albeit, albeit some pretty easy games, but also Fulham was not an easy game and Villa, by the way, was not an easy game the other day and we've got 15 points and teams now are starting to kick us. That's how good we are. We never had that before. People just, well, we did in the past, obviously, but I cannot believe that people are whinging and and I genuinely think you may be supporting the wrong team (laughs) if you're, um, because right now, I think things are brilliant. I went to the Emirates for the first time. Sorry, Amy, I know you want to come in, but I went to the Emirates for the first time on Wednesday night. Couldn't believe the difference. Genuinely, I've heard it from a number of people. Adrian, you've talked about it on this pod the last few weeks, what it's like. I absolutely loved it. And one more thing, I might have to get ear defenders (laughs) to go to the Emirates because it was so loud. It was genuinely so loud. I haven't heard the Emirates Stadium make a noise like that since we've been there. So, uh, I, I, yeah, do I trust the process? Of course I do. Of course I do. And how can you not? I, I wonder whether people are slightly bitten by the experience of last January and that sense of knowing there's a problem area and a team that needs strengthening, not addressing it in the transfer window on deadline day. And there's a kind of memory of Aubameyang leaving and, and not bringing in any kind of centre forward, which quite possibly could have made the difference in the one game needed to take Arsenal to the top four. So it is that thing where you think it is a gamble, it is a risk, because you're knowingly going into a stretch of the season that is going to be, you know, immensely pressurised in terms of amount of football because of the World Cup, because of everything they're fitting in. So kind of maintaining the fight on all fronts. Do It's very ironic, really, because I think there's only... A couple of weeks ago, but at the beginning of the season, I was suggesting writing a piece about B teams, uh, essentially like, here's the team that you could pick if you don't pick all your starters and looking across different clubs and seeing what they've got to play with. And Arsenal's looked tremendous when they were playing the same starting eleven for the first three games or so. You could pick an entire eleven that was, you know, extremely impressive as well, that was different. And it's not taken long for that to 
be put into a bit of flux. Um, so therefore, I, 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 tr- I trust Mikel that I think they were right to go for someone, but they were right not to be held to ransom. You know, they couldn't afford to just throw stupid money at it at the last day on a player that, team. you know, it, that if, 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 if he'd have really wanted to, knowing there was 12 months on the deal, they could have tried for earlier on in the window. But he wasn't a priority then. We might get him in the uh, in the uh, January as well. We might get uh, somebody else, For, or somebody else. Adrian, do you want to come in at this point? Yeah, look, I, I would have I would have liked Douglas Louise in the short term because I think he's a, he's a better player than what you see at Villa. I think he's pretty silky, very talented. Mikel Arteta obviously knows him from his City days, so so you trust that Mikel knows he's the right character. He fits the profile. He's still young at sort of in his prime, and and I think he would have done a good job. I think he would have been the understudy to to Thomas Partey and the, the most natural sort of guy to slot in there. Um, he can also cover Granit Xhaka in that left side box-to-box role as well. So it would have been good. But if if, if we've got, a, you know, a, a fee limitation, then what, what can we do? If you can't go any higher, you can't, you can't do it. We're not backed by a nation state, are we? I mean, in the end, we have the money that we have. And, and you know, Amy, on that point that you made about a and B teams we're certainly a bit short on the B team with a couple of injuries but it's inevitable that we're going to get a couple of injuries it was just slightly unfortunate it happened in the same position but that could change in the next couple of weeks Thomas Partey could be a short-term absentee come back in and nobody's talking about about that position again and by the way I thought Sambi played brilliantly the other Mm. day against Villa he slotted straight in there and I thought he was excellent let's talk then a bit more, by the way. Sorry, Adrian, you want to? I was just going to say, Sambi de Conga is more than able. Sambi de Conga is a more than able deputy. I think, yeah, he's he's a player that's going to improve the more the more that he operates, and I think he's underrated. I, I think he's had more, far more good games than 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 mediocre games or below par matches. I think he's quite a good fit within the team, and this might be the making of him. This opportunity, so. I'm not panicking. And, and remember, we've only really got to get through to November. And there's a lot of games. And then there's no real football until the, until the next window. So it's a quite a short span of time that we're, we're risking it, so to speak, with a, one, or two, one or two absentees in the squad. But um, yeah, I, th- I think we'll be all right. I, I really do. Also, but I mean, we'll talk more generally then about the transfer window. Fabio Vieira is someone we haven't really seen. He came on for half an hour in a sort of under-21 game the other day. And we don't quite know what his position is, really. I mean, I thought that he... Because one of the things that people complained about, Amy, was that there was no real cover for Bukayo Saka. But he can play out. Most of the stuff I've seen, the clips of him, have been in that sort of position. But it strikes me he can also play in central midfield as well. I mean, we've talked a lot about versatility. So maybe there's cover there. Yeah, I think he's got a lot lot of flexibility that he brings to the team. I'm not sure that he would be playing at the base of your midfield, though, in terms of an alternative in that position that they also sort of strengthen. But almost anywhere in front of that and that isn't the centre-forward... It, it, it seems like he's, you know, he's earmarked that he's got that ability that he can he can play all over those areas. And I think when Eddie first mentioned him a few weeks ago, quite optimistically, he did talk about playing wide as uh, yeah as something that he felt was you know was really on the cards. So I agree with you. And also Marquinhos, 
who we haven't seen yet other than warming up and down the touchline. And, you, you know, even from that, you can see he's a unit, which is helpful. I think he's impressed maybe more quickly than anticipated, possibly a little bit like Martinelli coming in young, big move and, you know, sort of earmarked a bit as one for the future and, you know, some cup games and this and that to kind of ease him in. But they like what they see. And uh, it's it's quite possible that he could come in and find that he adds something or, or provides an alternative at times on that wide position. But also, I think there's plenty of options there. Emil can play there. Martinelli can switch sides. I'm less bothered about that, really. And Adrian, you mentioned the lack of money we got for all the outs. Mm. I mean, it isn't great business that we've done, but do you think it's the sort of tail end... Of the, of the end of the Arsene Wenger era and the Emery era is that we've got some players who essentially people just don't want, but they'll take them off our hands if we, you know, if we prepare to give them away for essentially nothing. Yeah, we needed a clean sweep, didn't we? There's a lot of sort of hangover players from the previous era. And and I think, yeah, sometimes you just have to take that hit. You just have to, for, for the sake of their own careers, they need to move on and play. For the for Arteta, he needs to have players that are on his boat, not on the previous managers, and and no. yeah, it, it's it's really important. That's the only reason I'm not 100 percent on the trustometer. It's just the business side of things. I think we could have done a little bit better in, but but it's a challenging market, isn't it? So, and we have, I think, left ourselves a little bit short. But but we move, don't we? And and I think that the players we've got now, if you look at the the A player and the B player in each position, they've all got a value or, or the vast majority of them have got a decent, decent value. And we'll, and we'll see over time, you know, what, whether that changes, whether we start getting good fees. It's, I, th- I suppose it's just a little bit of envy when you look at someone like Manchester City that are selling players that have never been near the first team for 10 million, for 8 million. Liverpool have done it down the years. And then we can only ever seem to loan our players. It's annoying, but, but, Look, we're top of the league. Let's not be too down in the dumps. It's uh, it, Douglas Louise was never going to be a game changer. I would have liked Neto. I would have liked some of the other players that we were linked with as, as wide forwards, but it wasn't to be. I'm sure that in January or next summer we'll we'll go and get some more really exciting players. So I'm not I'm not worried. What I see with my eyes of the team is fantastic. It's just awesome yeah. to watch at the moment, and and that's what I think the supporters should concentrate on rather than hammering Edu and the club for, um, for for perceived lack of lack of effort in the last few days, because I guarantee you there wouldn't have been a lack of effort. Also, I think that nobody's pretending that they would be happy with the, uh, the funds from outgoings. I kind of admire the ruthlessness, you know, of just saying we are clearing out here and we're just drawing a line under this. And everyone who's on the boat, Arteta wants on the boat, and there is nobody who's hanging over the edge anymore in that squad. No. And that's he's never had that luxury the whole, entire time he's been here. And the, the club have backed him. These are the people I want around, and can you sort these guys out? And you can't magic up fees. It's a horrible market. Some people are doing it quite well. The, the hugest stumbling block for Arsenal was that the majority of the players that they really wanted to try and generate some funds for were on big wages. That's the problem. It's not about the actual value of the player. It's about here's a guy on, you know, a hundred thousand pound or one hundred fifty or two hundred thousand pound or whatever it is a week, 
And for someone else to take that on, another club, they're like, well, you know, Arsenal are paying the price for overpaying on salaries, really, more than anything else. This was a a period where they threw quite a lot of money at quite a lot of players who didn't really turn out to be the ones that were wanted. And that's been the single biggest stumbling block in terms of generating a better outgoing deal. And rather than saying, which I think Arsenal uh, of the past would have done for a long, long time, oh, we can't do the deal we want to do, oh well. And then those players sit around and... I wouldn't say stink the place out, that's unfair, but it's not the the dream ticket of a kind of super streamlined, super motivated, super unified group. And they've dealt with it. Even if they have had to sort of take some sort, you know, be less successful than they wanted in terms of the money that's come in. But they've also wiped out tons of expenditure on salary. Those players stick around, don't do much. They're still getting paid every week handsomely. So I yeah. think just only looking at the negative side of that is only seeing half the picture. And I think, and, and to finish this chat, um, and Amy, you sort of said it, really the last question, is the squad strong enough to sustain a top four challenge? Uh, possibly more than that. Um, I mean, I definitely think it is. I definitely think it is. Amy, you would essentially agree to what you said before. Uh, Adrian? Do I do. Yeah, way? I do. We, we, bad luck will we'll hurt us, of course. Injuries suspensions, etc. That that could be damaging, but let's just hope for the best. Let's have that positive outlook. At the moment, this team is proving that we're capable of competing at the top end of the division. So yeah, yeah, I'm really confident that we're going to have a have an excellent season. One of the th- aspects I'm quite worried about possibly derailing things, Adrian. I don't know if you agree. Is referees? <laughs> oh, I mean, the I don't day. want to, you know. One doesn't <laughs> doesn't enjoy making it all about mm. officials and all that stuff, but. I mean, yeah, it but does feel like it's poorer, which doesn't seem possible. We can't control it, Amy. It, only worry about things you can control. That's the sort of mantra that I try and live by. You know, things that are in my control, I worry about them and I try and improve them. Things like referees are out of our control. There is no bias against Arsenal. There's just an incompetence across the board. There's just some really, really poor officials at the moment that seem to, to make a lot of bad decisions. And we, we're on the receiving end of a few yeah, I mean, the other day. I'm not even talking about that. I, t- I, I almost feel that the way that Arsenal tried to play football, it just so happens that in recent games in particular, that this yeah. this new idea to kind of let the game flow at the beginning is giving opposition players a licence to kick the shit out of people. Yes, that is a good point. For 10, 15 minutes. Mm. And then it's like, OK, then the game takes on a different shape. Uh, I'm not a fan of that. I think it's, you know, and you say it's not biased against Arsenal, but the fact that in general Arsenal are trying to play speedy, aesthetic, effective, creative football and other teams are trying to do a bit of a hatchet job to survive those opening spells, mm. it's that is going to catch up on the team and that will cause more injuries and more knocks and bumps and things and stretch that squad just because it's allowed and nobody's taking out a yellow card until... Some Arsenal player does some sort of, you know, fairly innocuous foul for the first time after 25 minutes and gets booked. <laughs> what could Amy be talking about? What game could I... Well, I'll tell you what, we'll talk about uh, that next. This is Handbrake of the Arsenal podcast, brought to you by The Athletic. How do you make a vacation last? How do you hold on to the joy, the clarity, the calm? Easy. 
you go to Aruba. You'll spend your time relaxing on cool, white, sandy beaches and floating in healing blue water. You'll meet locals brimming with gratitude for an island that redefines what a paradise can be. You won't just feel great. You'll feel relaxed, renewed, and ready for life. That's the Aruba Effect. Plan your trip at aruba.com. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. We were a bit uh, with the handbrake at time. So Arsenal 2, Aston Villa 1, 5 out of 5. Adrian, it was it was the most dominant 2-1 I've seen. I mean, that first half, and I know we've been playing like that, and I know we came out against Fulham in sort of the same way, but Fulham essentially, I think, have a better coach who negated us a little bit more. Mm. That's really from a layman's point of view. I mean, you can tell me if that's right or not. But I thought that first half particularly, and the intensity of it, I just, I, I was genuinely blown away by what this team is doing. The attacking options, the movement, the way that the ball is pinged around. Opposition can't live with it. Yeah, we tore into Aston Villa, didn't we? <laughs> we, we? We tried to do the same against Fulham, but they were, just, like you say, better coached, much more aggressive. They were an excellent pressing team. And and I still think we did really well to sort of play through them at times. Aston Villa were, pa- well, they weren't passive. They were aggressive. At the wrong times, they'd be aggressive in making fouls, but in general, they were easy to 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 bypass and slice through. They were they were poor, but yeah, no, it was really good. I love the drive. There's so much drive to go and score goals. It was incredible, really, that that Arsenal didn't score more goals in that first half. The scrambles, up, the save from Emmy was 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 a worldie, wasn't it? From 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 Gabriel Martinelli, Saka's miss, unbelievable, really. I think, if, yeah, if we'd have gone in at half-time 5-0 up, Villa could have had zero complaints about it. And 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 yet, I just love to see it because because you set the tone for a performance in the first 20 minutes. And at the moment, the tone is always on point. And, and I think we should, all, we should all really enjoy that. Yeah. And Amy, I mean, you wrote a piece about the crowd, the unity at Arsenal, which we discussed on the show last week. And like I said, it's the first time I've actually experienced it uh, in the flesh. The team are feeding off the crowd and vice versa, really, isn't it? I mean, it's, sometimes it get, you get the crowd, the team have to do something before the crowd gets going. Not at the Emirates at the moment. Do you know what? It reminded me a bit, conceding that goal against Villa, of like when I was going as a kid in the 80s and, and that. And it was almost like one of the things you were expected to do as a fan back then is if you conceded, you had to sing as loud as you possibly could. Do you remember that? Mm. You know, yeah. goal were going against yeah. defiance. Oh, so no, so defiance. Like, you know, it, it was like, and and I think all uh, home crowds would would have that, or uh, of their own team. You, it was something that was part of your job almost as a fan in those days. Was that you you showed up and stood up and sang up when uh, when there was a, a moment of adversity, and somewhere along the line in recent decades, that's kind of dissipated. But, you know, you, you saw everybody jump up, actually, 
after Villa scored, you could, you know, you could actually see it physically in the crowd, people rising and like pumping their fists. Uh, that little bit of um, really defiant uh, attitude, I think, is so helpful. And I, Thierry Henry always used a really good phrase about the shirt being heavy. And I think there was quite a long time where that shirt did hit, feel heavy to a lot of Arsenal players. With the best will in the world, no one goes out to play badly or make mistakes. But, you know, I think you could stick it on at a home game and and feel anxious that you didn't want to be the guy that made a mistake. And that just has sort of percentage points in everybody's performance. You know, that tiny kind of uh, split second of, of confidence versus anxiety. and. You can feel it sometimes, whereas I think now the shirt appears to feel lighter. <laughs> I don't think the, there's a sense of inhibition or fear in the players, and I think that's coming directly from the fact that they feel, you know, they feel the love that uh, it was much more complicated in, in years gone by. Yeah, I think. No, I, I mean, Adrian. I think you you did a tweet a few days ago, talking about the fact that they make mistakes or they concede a goal. And let's be fair, the last few goals they've conceded, to a certain extent. I mean, you can talk about Aaron Ramsdale and the corner, but certainly uh, Gabriel against Fulham, but and Saliba scoring the own goal and the way mm. the crowd have lifted them. They've gone back up the other end. What what was the stat basically about? We've conceded, and in how many minutes? Well, after that so yeah the, the numbers are, there are four numbers two one eight and three and that's that's the the minutes it took for us to respond with a goal after conceding I mean it's incredible so it took two minutes to score against Leicester then one minute in the later on in the game then it took eight minutes to reply against against Fulham and it just took three minutes to respond and score that winning goal against Aston Villa. I mean, it's, it, they're remarkable numbers, aren't they? Because it, it is the instant response. It is what Amy's talking about, the, the crowd. There's no size. There's no beating up the players. We're, we're actually just roaring them on to produce that comeback. And once it happens once or twice, as it's happened four times now, then there will every time we concede, particularly at home, I think this reaction will happen because there is a belief that, that we can instantly get back on it and um, and that transmits to the players. Arsene Wenger used to talk about what he called the subconscious memory of a team, which was quite deep, but he did quite a lot of research into all this. And he was a big believer in, you know, if you, you almost have like a muscle memory kind of feeling. Uh, if you have uh, the experience of doing certain things in a game, it will perpetuate. And again, it's these tiny little percentage points of difference where it was a long long time that Arsenal was struggling to get you know to recover from going a goal down in games and that becomes a thing and that has been addressed in a quite radical way at the beginning of this season so you know it, it's all great building blocks because there are going to be setbacks plenty of them and that Arsenal are not always going to recover from those setbacks but the more they've got to look back on and say, we, we know we can do this and we know we don't want to do that and we know how it all feels and this is what we can and can't do, the better chance it gives of, of being able to have more positive outcomes and get into more positive habits. On that subconscious thing that, that Amy was talking about, the same applies for Mikel Arteta, you know, because as a rookie boss, he didn't have the bank of when this happened, I tried this and it worked 
He just didn't have it, like a like like Arsene Wenger would have had, like more experienced managers have. He he was learning as he went. Now, what are we? A hundred Premier League games in, he he can turn. That was a great example, wasn't it, at Fulham when he switched to the three five two, and Eddie Nketiah came on and lifted things. That's the new Plan B. Clearly, when we're chasing the game and chasing the goal. He won't hesitate to go to that again and again and again now because he's seen it work. And there'll be other little tweaks and, and modifications that he's seen work this season and maybe at points last season that he can now rely on um, when, when things go wrong. So our ability to respond to setbacks has already looked looks miles better. And, and hopefully that will... We can just forget about that that issue that we had last season. Hopefully that'll be something that's, that's in the, um, you know, in the past. Amy... I mean, on that point, you mentioned Eddie Nketiah, how the crowd uh, are lifted and have lifted him, his performances. And, and they say Mikel Arteta is, is more than happy to bring him on in a tight situation. And he made the difference against Fulham and he made the difference again against Villa, didn't he? There was a swagger about him, I think, when there he came now. on, which, which was, uh, was great. And actually, the game was crying out for... Uh, for it because uh, you know it was an, an, a narrow situation and uh, Arsenal was sort of trying to hang on it felt a little bit and getting a bit more drawn back and it was like stretch it stretch it stretch it and on came Eddie and single-handedly stretched the game it did. which made those last few minutes a, a, a you know a different scenario completely but he just he looks built different somehow yeah. I don't know what it is. Like, I mean, unless he's been putting in some serious work down the gym and it, and it really physically shows. But I don't think it's just physical. I think he, look, he, he looks different. He runs with a different kind of brain almost, I think, and a different kind of belief. He looks uh, like his confidence is extremely high. And I think that uh, somebody mentioned the other day to me that he's been quite inspired by Gabriel Jesus. And it's an interesting, you know, the whole scenario where he decided to stay anyway was quite interesting because there was that sort of expectancy that he would probably go somewhere. So he was desperate to be playing all the time, to have more football, to be more established and sort of less of a backup. But such is his connection with the club and particularly, I think, with Arteta, who thinks so highly of him, that he decided to stay. And he would have known, I'm sure, that he wasn't going to be the number one striker and that somebody was coming in. But he's looked at this guy and he's got a phenomenal attitude of, okay, I'm going to learn from this. I'm going to get better and better and better. Instead of seeing it as a a disappointment almost, I think he's he's taken it in the best possible way and is keyed up to be the best foil, alternative, combination, whatever is needed. And he will get plenty of football. But Arsenal need an Eddie Nketiah who's going to come on, do damage, score goals, make goals, be a nuisance. And I, I think he feels he can do that. He certainly looks as if he feels he can do that, which is very, very good news. The, the five sub rule has, has made such a difference, in my opinion, to the life of a non-first choice player. Because they know now that there'll be four or five players coming on every single game. So they're going to get the game. They're going to get game time. It's as simple as that. And obviously with the Europa League, a factor as well. So, yeah, I think Eddie, Eddie's accepted that. He's accepted his place. And, 
Yeah, the, in terms of him looking bigger, I, I think it just comes from, I think it's mainly to do with confidence. It's just when you've contributed, and he contributed big moments at the end of last season, ultimately they weren't moments that got us into the Champions League, but they could have been. Once you deliver those kind of huge contributions, you feel accepted by the players, by the manager, by the fans, and that I th- and it's an old cliche, but it makes you feel taller. And I, 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 yeah. when I look at Eddie and Ketia, that that's exactly what I see. Do you think something similar, in a way, is going on with Granite Xhaka? Because he looks, I mean, taller or bigger or whatever, it's not the right word, but he does look different as well. Uh, he looks happier. He looks more braver, almost more confident. And I think that it's it's so weird to think possibly this position has been staring us in the face for however long he's been at the club and he's only really begun to have that capacity to play it after all these years. But that was another thing that I thought thought was quite heartwarming about the game the other night, that, you know, that there really did feel like some very genuine sort of love and goodwill between, you know, a rec- some sort of recognition between him and the and the crowd at the end. I thought he was almost flawless in that match. Yeah, he was excellent. Out- exceptionally well. Yeah. And there was these roars of approval when he you know, got hold of the ball and, and did something. And when you think how many years he's had of like almost half expecting groans or mm. worse at times or how quick it was for that kind of reaction to come his way, I have almost a kind of extra admiration almost now for him that... That he's stuck with he it. He just mm. stuck it out. And, I, and he yeah. looks to me like someone who's enjoying his football and his role in the club and his part to play as much as anybody ever could. Definitely. He's having fun. It's great. He, I yeah, agree. He's having fun. He is he, having fun. As, he doesn't have as, fun attacking. As we all are. <laughs> yeah. But exactly. But the key, that, that's the whole thing about this kind of not getting hold of uh, Douglas Louise, nearly said it again, is that, you know, there is obviously that option that Jaco kind of reverts back. But I think that's not what anybody really wants. We, I think we'd much rather keep, it brings the best out of the team and him and everybody in this slightly advanced role. Manchester United at the weekend. Uh, <laughs> Jack briefly. will be playing defensive mid. <laughs> well, <laughs> <laughs> no, who knows? <laughs> that was funny, but also not funny as well. Um, no, we want to keep him in the same position because he's loving life at the moment. We've had a great start, but obviously Old Trafford's always a difficult place to go. Adrian, I mean, we'll take it to them, won't we, really? We'll yeah. take it to them. And I think exactly. they look... Um, I mean, I, I think we're better than them at the moment. Uh, we must be slight favourites going into this game. We, we are slight favourites, actually. Yeah, I was, on, I was on a betting podcast yesterday talking about that, talking about that, and it's a sign of how how far we've come. Um, but they, they were pretty good actually against Leicester last night. It was a bad game, but they were very, very com- Leicester are poor. Yeah, they were they were very comfortable at the back. Obviously, Varane and Lissandro Martinez look look better. Malassi is not bad at left back. He's quite a tigerish little player. I think, yeah, I, th- I think we'll probably have a lot of the ball and we'll take it to them. And I, I would fancy our forwards, providing the bumps and bruises are okay, because Gabriel Jesus has been fouled 13 times this season. Um, last year it was Saka, wasn't it, that was getting pummeled. Um, I think he's been fouled eight times in second, but Jesus is taking a bit of a battering. So I hope he's brave, a- though, isn't he? Oh, I love it because he's he's not big. But he'll take it no. to a centre half, and he'll just charge into them, won't he? And, and and get involved in that. And and I love that about him as much as as some of the skill, really. So I think Jesus can give the centre halves a hard time. 
I think Saka's due a game that he dominates the the, the fullback. Um, I thought he played very well, by the way, against Villa. He was better. Saka. Yeah, I, he, he was I, much better. He's really coming back in now. And a lot of the good stuff came through him. Yeah. And he made the winning goal as well. But yeah, a goal would be nice. Odegaard, we hope his foot's OK. It looked like a bruised foot to me. And I used to play with those all the time. They really hurt. Um, and they're annoying. But you can get through it, providing you've got a strapping. But the one for me is Martinelli. I think he, he this is the kind of game he can really do some damage in. Getting in behind Diogo Dalot, who's who's Dalot's playing well, quite well, well actually. Well, he is, but it, but in an attacking sense, he's created more chances than any other Manchester United player this season. So going that way, he's a danger man. But but because he likes to go that way, he will leave holes. And and I think that Martinelli can can drive down that left wing and really really hurt Manchester United in this game. I, I hope he can anyway. So we'll see. We, we will see. But yeah, I'm, I'm confident we can score there. I think we scored in our last eight visits to Old Trafford. We just haven't won yeah. many of them. Um, it's about time we did, isn't it? So yeah, I think we can score. But at the same breath, because of the issue in central midfield, because United are, are more confident now, you do wonder whether this is a game where both teams will score and it's, it's who can come out on the right side of that. Amy, anything to add? Like just a question for Adrian, actually, when you're talking about Martinelli there. It's so interesting because he's he's obviously ca- capturing so much imagination with that kind of head-down <laughs> energy that he's got. Yeah. But I sometimes think there are occasions in the game where I think, just watch a Robert Perez video, mate. Because if he can mix it up and sometimes pass, and or maybe a bit more often, but he offer, he can he has this habit of just... Going and going and going and getting himself to into a place where you can just tell that the you know the word goal is written all over <laughs> his you know inside of his brain like in neon lights flashing, and he, he is incredibly effective. But there are sometimes people just standing there in bags of space and a little roll pass to someone gives you the goal. He's, yeah, he is maturing. I would say that he slowed himself down a bit. We know that he likes to charge around. He's 100 miles an hour, etc. But I think he slowed himself down a bit. There's more to come. Like you say, he can morph more into a Perez in possession over time. But even though, and your point is absolutely relevant, I've, I've been frustrated a little bit when, when he's not spotted that man. He has. He is actually our most creative player this season. He's made more chances than any other Arsenal player. So, so he's scoring. He's got three. Could have had a fourth, obviously, against Villa, but for him, he's brilliant save. And he's creating a lot. So, so yeah, we, we shouldn't be too too hard on him. He's, he's, he's on fire. No, no, it's almost no. like no, exactly. you think someone's amazing. Can they be even more Oh, amazing? Can of they, course. Can they strive I, I think, for I think it comes levels. with age. I just think it comes, mm. he will slow himself down. Arteta will, I reckon Arteta will be having these conversations that you've just said. He'll bring up the exact same thing with him. And it's just changing habits, isn't it? And over time, I think he will change those habits. I have to say, sorry, Amy, I just have to say that as a purely as a fan, he's the one out of all this team that gets me off my seat more than anyone else, more than Saka, more than Erdegaard. I love watching Martinelli going past people. I just think it's a joy to watch. And if you can add a bit of Pires to that, well, you know, I think he's getting towards world class anyway, but he'll definitely be world class at that point. 
Sorry, I just wanted to add that because I love him. <laughs> <laughs> I love watching him. Uh, Hector Bellerin has gone to Barcelona. Uh, 250 games, I believe it was, for Arsenal. I mean, he was very well loved at the uh, at the Emirates, wasn't he? I mean, he was, you know, when he arrived, so much potential. I think we can argue about whether he actually uh, totally fulfilled that potential. But three FA Cups... And I would also say a fashion icon of the uh, of the game, <laughs> Adrian. I mean, any any particular memories of Hector? Um, I, I, now I just enjoyed watching him play. I, I think he, was, he had such enthusiasm when he first came into the team. Um, yeah, I loved him. I, I, he scored quite a few goals, didn't he? And he made a few. The one, the quite a recent Chelsea one. Away. Yeah, Chelsea away is the one that I remember. But it was yeah, it was an important goal, wasn't it? Cutting in on his left and bending it in, but. Yeah, I remember him flying around on the outside and and sliding the ball back. He sort of slid for a cross and he he put it along the face of goal for I can't remember who was it Urzel. It was a fa- it was a really really good team goal. He was involved in a lot of these great sweeping team moves during the latter years of of Arsene Wenger. Did he did he not fulfil his potential? I don't know. I just I think maybe physically. He, he he hit a wall when he got the injuries and and that explosive pace. Um, just impacted him. It took an edge off of him um, because he was never the biggest or strongest, but he was nippy, wasn't he? Um, and that, I think, was a little bit blunted towards the end. And um, yeah, it, look, you have to be a bit special to stay at Arsenal longer than he did. Um, I think he did very well to, to stay stay an Arsenal player for that long. And yeah, it's no shame at all in the fact that it's sort of fizzled out and we've we've moved on from him. He, he, he did a great contribution while he was here and I think he should be fondly remembered. Amy? I think sometimes it's not just the actual football qualities that engage you to a player. And I think it was really easy to, uh, to fall for Hector as much as what he kind of, you know, his efforts on the pitch. Uh, the man that he was off it, or is off it. And uh, I have a huge admiration for Hector. I mean, it was just when he first came over, he had this really likeable, I think it was the Cockney Catalan sort of accent oh, yeah. uh, that everybody uh, everybody enjoyed. And he threw himself at the age of uh, whatever it was, 17, 18, coming over here into London life. He used to go about on the tube. He used to go and watch his friends playing in uh, reserve games and or uh, under 23 games. He was He was such an easy sort of character to to enjoy and then you know his social conscience I think is hugely genuine and important Mm. and for someone of his standing to be so open to supporting a positive change in the world uh, be so vocal about it and so eloquent about it you know going to the Oxford Union and and you know even involved with the the planting trees and the environment uh, as well as, you know, it's all very well saying, oh, he was, you know, into his fashion and he took up photography and all that kind of stuff. He obviously has an artistic side to him that's outside of football. And uh, I just enjoyed hearing what he had to say and uh, about life. And I think he had a positive contribution and I, I hope he will continue to do that as well. And I think he probably will because that's, that's his character. But yeah, I was kind of quite proud that he played for Arsenal I think I always will be Uh, Let's have a song to finish then Uh, Adrian what have you got? Um, Five Everybody Get Up uh, by five because it's five in a row Um, they they always 
Five appears in that song a lot. It's uplifting. And I think even though we had that sort of slightly damp squib final day of the transfer window, everybody needs to get up and, and, and enjoy what we're doing at the moment. Five out of five. Let's let's make it six on Sunday. Nice. Amy, what you got? It's another number orientated thing, but being top of the league is, uh, you know, I don't know how long it's going to last, but it's something that I'll never take for granted and will always enjoy saying or singing if Arsenal get the chance. So I'm going to go with Blondie and the tide is high. Number one. <laughs> it certainly is. Um, I'm I hope can- the tide stays high. Oh yes. Well, let's hope so. <laughs> well, if the boat is is manned correctly, <laughs> then maybe actually, does it make the difference to the tide? No. <laughs> anyway, uh, <laughs> sorry, I was going for the, the the sort of naval type thing. But anyway, um, I'm having uh, canned heat. Let's work together because I I feel a togetherness at the moment that I haven't felt. Basically, since the Invincibles, really. So uh, uh, um, I'm really enjoying it, and uh, I hope you are too. Notwithstanding the one or two Twitter warriors moaning about not getting a reserve central midfielder. But anyway, <laughs> let's let that go. Uh, lovely to talk to you guys. Thank you to Adrian. Thank you to Amy. Thanks to Abby, our producer. Thanks to you, listener, for listening. I'm Ian Stone. This has been Handbrake Off, the Austin podcast, brought to you by The Athletic. <laughs> 